Good morning, Crossroads. It is so good to be back with you. Uh, I returned about 10 days ago from a three-week trip to Asia. I was part of the team, the Crossroads team that went to Cambodia. And then when that team came back, um, I didn't come back. We went off, actually, my daughter and I went off to the Philippines for a week uh, with some mission partners there. So I'm just now getting back on track with the jet lag. It's taken me, it's a 12-hour flip, a complete day-night flip. So finally, now I think I'm, I'm back on track. So someone scheduled a student trip to Louisville starting today. I don't know what I was thinking, but we are, uh, I don't know if you saw the fleet of white vans over here. We are taking 83 people to Louisville right after the 11 o'clock service. Actually, if you want to follow along, I want to make sure I get this right. It's on Facebook at Crossroads Student Missions 2019. We will have pictures and updates of things that we're doing throughout the week. We will be down there, uh, like I said, starting today, and we'll be there through Friday. So, But one of the special things about the trip uh, to Asia was that I didn't just go, uh, I've been there, I think I've been to Cambodia four times and the Philippines two or three times. But what made this one special was I, I had the opportunity to take my 15-year-old daughter with me. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. Um, you think about it, a 15-year-old who's only lived in Ohio, and you take her across the world. First of all, the 12-plus-hour 12 12 flights, that's an experience in itself. But her vision of the globe just exploded. You know, the... She got to see parts of, part of the world that, that she couldn't even imagine, you know, and, and I, I can't imagine what's going through her 15-year-old brain because it's, it's, still, it's still quite a shock to me at my age, and I've been there before, but her first overseas trip. And, you know, she, we, we experienced a lot of different things, a lot of different culture, you know, in Cambodia. It's, a, it's, a, it's very different than here. Um, just a lot of, well, you wake up in the morning and you hear monks chanting, uh, Buddhist monks chanting, and, and just throughout the day, you'll see Buddhist monks walking around. Um, the climate, we, we think it's hot here, oh my. Until you've seen a Cambodian sweat, you don't know what hot is. It was so hot over there. We went, and it was, it was very, very, very warm in Cambodia. It was about five degrees hotter and more humid in the Philippines. So we, we sweat through all of our clothes, Washed them, sweat through them again. It was, it was just amazingly hot. You know, and she experienced also the different, different food. Luckily, we were fortunate enough that neither of us, actually, I don't think anyone on our trip really got ill, but, but so often when you're traveling, they do. Um, but just, I mean, even we figured out that it's an American thing to have different types of food for breakfast. When you're in a foreign country, what you have for dinner is most often what you have for breakfast. You know, we're having rice and beef and things for breakfast. You know, there's no, there's no pancakes and stuff like that. It's, it, that's not the way it works for most of the world. You know, and just, just such differences. I think I told you she's 15. She's actually 15 and a half because she got her driver's permit a few months before we left. And I told her while we were over there to pay no attention to how they drive. If you have ever been overseas and experienced foreign driving, you know, it's not the same as here. Cambodia is unbelievable. Let me give you an example. 
If you're on a two-lane highway, heading both, traffic heading both directions, here, someone's slower than you, you look over, you go to pass. If there's a car coming, you slow down and you go back in. Not there. If you're on a two-lane highway and someone's slower than you, you go around them. If there's a car coming, you just keep going. And they go three wide on a two-lane. And just, I mean, you're heading right at someone. Now, the difference is they're not going 70 miles an hour either. But I told her, just totally wipe out anything you've seen in, in regards to driving. She's been a little afraid to drive ever since we got back. You know, the other thing that she got to experience for the first time was third world poverty. You know, to see people in, in need. I mean, we, we have needs here, but it's, it's, it's so different. You know, people, uh, people de depending day to day just to have enough to eat. And, you know, that, that struck a chord with her. That, that touched her heart. And it, every time I go, it touches my heart. But there's a part of me that, that actually envies that simple life. That, you know, we don't, we don't worry about building up wealth. We don't worry about retirement. We don't worry, you know, they, they don't do that. They're day-to-day -day depending on God to provide for them. There's a part of that that's beautiful. But I've, I've laid out the differences that, that she experienced. But I don't think that the differences were really what struck her, what was most valuable from the trip. What probably was most valuable was what was similar you know, we, we flew into Cambodia, then we stayed in a hotel, and we drove to our Asia's Hope campus. If you could pull up that picture. She walked off the bus, and there were a bunch of teenagers there to greet us. You know, and she instantly, she instantly just became family with this group. You know, and, and as, the, as the two weeks that we were there wore on, she just bonded immediately with these students, with these young people, you know, that, that different culture and different, it just disappeared. They were just kids hanging out. And they, they bonded so, so quickly. A new set of brothers and sisters for them. The other thing is, on our team, you know, I told you she was 15. I figured it out yesterday. There was one person who was twice her age on our team. There was another person who was three times her age. And everybody else was even older than that. You know, she was, a, she was the only kid, but she not only was the only kid, she, there, weren't a lot, there weren't a lot of young adults either. And she just bonded with our team. Our team just, just kind of surrounded her and adopted her and looked out for her. And it, it, it just was such a great experience, such a neat experience to see generations come together. She formed such great bonds with them too. And, you know, so often we think of all the differences that we experienced on a trip, but this, this actually was one where we saw the similarities being the strongest. So we, like I said, we were in Cambodia, and we got, we got to do a lot of cool things with a lot of different people. We got to see God at work in an amazing way. If you bring up the next picture, we were on, a, we were on an outreach. We went into a village, uh, and handed out some food. And what you're seeing right here, Grace is handing out shoes. Now these are the adjustable shoes. I don't know if, if you remember, our children's ministry raised money to, to provide shoes. They're, they're, they're kind of cool, they're kind of like sandals, but then if your foot grows, you can change a clip and it gets a little bigger. And it actually can cover like three different sizes. 
and our, our children's ministry did a great job raising money and, and, and buying these shoes, and we got to go over and deliver them. She's handing out a, a pair to this adult lady. But what you, what you don't see at this outreach is there were about, there were about 300 people, and we were in a village that didn't have a church. They didn't have a church, they didn't have to pastor. If they wanted to go to church, they had to leave their village. But there was, we were actually standing right in front of a Buddhist temple. We were in front of a Buddhist temple with 300 people who probably had never heard the name of Jesus. And we, like I said, we, we shared some food with them and we, we gave them the sandals and we gave them a few other things and some toys for the kids. But Pastor Jesse got to stand up and share the gospel. He got to proclaim the gospel to people who had never heard the name of Jesus in front of a Buddhist temple. The other cool part of that was our Asia's Hope partners had made some connections and the equivalent of the governor of the state of Ohio in Cambodian, that guy was there also. One of two or three government officials, but that, that high up ranking official was there and heard the gospel, heard the gospel preached. You know, God, God does amazing things sometimes. There we are standing there, 300 people, Buddhist temple behind us, and the name of Jesus was proclaimed and praised. But that's awesome. You know, God's doing awesome things. Well, like I said, after the Cambodia trip, Grace and I went to the Philippines. The rest of the team came back here, and it was just her and I. And we went to the Philippines, and we got to, we got to have some pretty cool experiences there. We went and did youth group. There was a youth group night, and we went, and again, it was just like she was one of the, she was just one of the kids there. And, and it was so cool to see the name of Jesus being praised. We're, we're halfway around the world, and they're doing, they're doing the same songs we do. They're hearing the same messages we do. This is, it's just cool to see kids on fire for God everywhere. Uh, we also went to a church that I call the Under 30 Church. It was, a, it was a campus of a bigger church, and I call it Under 30 because there were under 30 people. And all of them, all of the people were under the age of 30. It's just a young, vibrant church, small room. Again, just young people praising the name of Jesus, and it was awesome to see that. In fact, one of the guys wants to know when she's coming back to Manila. I've already dealt with him via messenger. He's been kicked out of the church, and I'm good with that. Uh, just kidding. But we had, a, we had a very unique opportunity also while we were there. Uh, we got to go to a construction site. One of the foremen of the construction site, he had begun a small Bible study with a few of his coworkers. And it started to grow. A few more people started to come, and a few more people started to come. And, and what ended up happening was almost the whole crew started to come to this Bible study. So the, the leaders of the construction site heard about this and gave him permission to do this before every shift. So he would go and he would, he would meet with the workers that were going on that crew and they would, they would do their safety rules. So I, they did that in a, in a, a different language, Tagali, and I, I had no idea what they're talking about. But then we got a chance to pray and, and to share 
some of God's word with these, with these men who were going, and they're, they're building a high-rise luxury hotel in downtown Manila. It was just really cool that this guy got a ministry started at his, at his workplace. And, and like I said, we, we shared and we prayed with them, and, and it was great, and I promised to pray with them. I promised to pray for them, excuse me. Promised to pray for them when I came back. You know, and you, you do that a lot on a mission trip, and you gotta write it all down because there's so many things that you promised to do. But as I was walking out, I stepped on a nail. Now, I didn't go through, it didn't go through my shoe or anything. I just kind of stepped on it. I actually have the very nail right here. And I picked it up so that I could bring it home and I, I would have something to remember to pray for those men. And I had promised that I would pray for them. Well, it's a 12-hour flip, I told you, and they're on the night shift. So right now it's 9.27 p.m. there. And they're working the night shift, so they are working that construction site right now. So if, if you would oblige me, I would like to just take a moment and pray for those men. Uh, Lord, you are the God of, of all the earth, the God of Mansfield, and the God of Ohio, and the God of the United States, but so much more. You are the God of the world. You're the God of Manila. You're the God of the Philippines. And Lord, we pray for this construction crew in the Philippines. We pray for their, their safety as they work. We pray, we pray, Lord, for their families. We pray for these men that they would be great fathers and, and great husbands. We pray that, that your word would stir in them. We pray that what they hear and what they pray before their shifts, Lord, that you would impact them greatly. We, uh, we know that you are... You're a good and gracious God. Lord, we ask that you would just, that you would take over these men's lives, that you would use them for your kingdom, to build not only a hotel, but to build your kingdom. And we pray this in your great and precious name, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We here have been in a study of the book of Habakkuk. And this is, this is the final the final session of the series. This is the final week of the series. And, and Pastor Josh from the Shelby campus, Pastor Josh Coker and I, have met and we kind of wanted to just, we kind of just wanted to summarize what Habakkuk, what we've learned from Habakkuk, what Habakkuk is all about, and see if we could just hone it in and narrow it down so we could make it bite-sized to take with us. So we're going to begin in Habakkuk 1-3. I'm sorry, Habakkuk 1, 1 through 3. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 3, and it says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you, will, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me sense iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. You know, Habakkuk was in, a, was in a difficult situation. He was, he was a prophet to the, to the kingdom of Judah in a time where strife was, was all around them. Actually, the three greatest world powers at the time were surrounding Judah. 
They had already taken over the kingdom of Israel. Remember, the kingdom of Israel had split into two. There was Israel and Judah, and Israel had already been conquered. There were the nations of Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, and they were surrounding Judah. And they, they were threatening the nation. They were threatening the kingdom of Judah to, to be taken over. And Habakkuk was the prophet in this time. And he looked at it and he, he, he saw a lot of hopelessness. He saw these, these armies surrounding him. And he cried out to God. But the nation of Judah was not crying out to God. They were doing, as God's word often says, they were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's Habakkuk, and he's crying out to God. He's saying, you know, what, what are you going to do? We're, we're in a hopeless, horrible situation, and here come these armies, and we just don't know what to do. So from the first chapter in Habakkuk, we learn that he was questioning and doubting God. He was questioning and doubting God. He was saying, God, how, how can you let this happen? Why aren't, you, why aren't you fixing this problem? And I wonder how many of us have ever felt that. I'm going to guess all of us. Have ever felt at some time like, God, God what are you doing here? Why, why, are, why is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. You're, you're allowing something horrible to happen. You're allowing something evil to happen. Why, why is this? I don't understand. And that's, that's the heart of Habakkuk here as he cries out to God. Continue on in Habakkuk 1.13. It says, you, this is Habakkuk speaking to God. He's saying to God, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Again, he was, he was calling out to God saying, you're not doing anything. You're, you're not fixing this. I have this plan, you know, that you're going to come in and you're going to make it all right. And God wasn't doing that. And he's crying out to God. Well, Perhaps the key verse in the entire book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk 2.4. It's the end of that, actually. Habakkuk 2.4. God answers Habakkuk with these words. The righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. He says, you need to trust. You need to trust. You need to understand that that if you're going to be righteous, you're just going to have to trust me. That's not easy. That is not an easy thing to do. I told you that I met with Pastor Josh and we wanted to try to summarize this in a, in a few sentences. And if you look, we have that. What does it look like to live by faith? And if you look down there, there's a sentence with a bunch of blanks that say living by faith. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to fill those in. One thing you need to understand is Pastor, Pastor Josh, he's, a, he's what I would call a wordsmith. You know, he, he can craft sentences and he, he, he reads and studies and, and, and very, very good with words. 
Now, Pastor Dave is also very good with, he wrote a book. Obviously, he's really good with words. You know, I'm more of a numbers guy. I'm more of a numbers guy, so I, I really appreciate Pastor Josh's help with this. But we put this sentence together to kind of just summarize this book. So here's the deal. I need you to be on your toes this morning because we're going to fill in the blanks for this sentence as we go through the book of Habakkuk, but the fill-ins are not going to go in order because we're going by the order that they appeared in Scripture. So they're going to bounce around a little bit. So you need to be on your toes a little bit. I will give you this heads up. Every blank, no matter how long it is, every blank is only one word on your outline. I know some of you are outline people. Some of you are like, who cares? Just tell us what's going on. But some of you, if we didn't fill in the blanks, it would bother you greatly, and I, I appreciate that. My wife is one of those. So, so we're going to bounce around a little bit. Just make sure that you're following, and uh, I, I think you'll be able to handle it. So we're going to begin with that, living by faith. It starts with, in the midst of an unthinkable present. What was happening at the time just, just didn't make any sense. It was unthinkable to Habakkuk. It was unthinkable. You know, he didn't understand what was happening to him. And as I said, I think we all can relate to that. You know, some of us have, have, have gone to the doctor and heard cancer. Some of us have lost loved ones. You know, some of us have, have things we just don't have answers to. We lost a job. Some of us are struggling with something that we want to we wanna get away from and we just can't. Some alcoholism or pornography. We, we, we cry out just like Habakkuk and we don't understand what's happening. In that very spot, right by that pole, yesterday, the worship team, we gathered and we prayed. We got together and we, and we, we just lifted up our concerns. It was half, actually only half of the team. and We sat around and, and we just talked about what was going on in our lives. And in so many situations, you know, we, we just don't understand. We don't understand what's going on or why it's happening. That's something that's common to all of us. We all resonate with that. Well, again, back to Habakkuk. He was in the midst of a horrible time. The leaders of Judah were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And not only was he distraught with his circumstances, but he didn't understand what God was about to do. The future was so unclear. Anybody relate to that? I, I met with a young man just yesterday, and he's like, I just, I just don't know what direction God wants to lead me. God, just, just give me a path and let me go. That, that's kind of where Habakkuk was. He didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know what God wanted him to do. The plans that Habakkuk had in his mind were not God's plans. What he thought was going to happen, it wasn't. He was the prophet. Prophets are supposed to tell you what to do and what's going to happen. That's what a prophet is, right? Prophet tells you, this is what God says, and this is what we're going to do, and then God is going to deliver us. Habakkuk was the prophet. He had no answers. He had no idea what God was going to do, and the people weren't listening to him. And he's crying out to God. So we have in the midst of an unthinkable present, we also have an unknown future. The unknown future. Not knowing what's next. Next. 
Well, how did God answer these questions of Habakkuk? If you look, we're still in Habakkuk chapter one. If you look at verse five, God answers him. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God promises Habakkuk, I'm doing something big here. Your pain is not for no reason. I'm doing something big here. I wonder if it's not the same thing in our lives. I wonder if maybe God's using even our deepest struggles in some way. Maybe you get to see the result of what God's doing, and maybe you don't. But I wonder if maybe it's the same thing, that God is doing something wonderful and something astounding, and he's building his kingdom even through what you're going through. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Our next point is that God is always at work. We know that he is always at work. He's always doing something for his glory. He's always building his kingdom. Always at work. I want to go back to the nail for a second. I want you to, to think with me for a second. I was at a place where they're building a huge, super tall, luxury hotel. And this was part of it. They're using a, a nail. You know, and, and what do you do with the nail? You take it and you hit it with a hammer. Now I'm wondering if maybe God is, God is using us the same way, that he's shaping us, that, he, that he's, those, those, the pain that we're feeling is because he's using us to build something great and grand. Now think about this for a second. You pound in a nail. What does a nail do? It draws things together. Is God maybe using your, your situation, your pain, not even for your benefit, but to draw others together, to pull it all together. You know, sometimes you hit a nail and it bends. I would imagine if you were a nail, it'd be pretty painful. But could God be using your pain to build his kingdom, to build something so grand? Now here's what you gotta remember. When they finish this grand hotel and you walk in, you're not going to go, oh man, look at all the nails. You're not going to see them. You're going to go, oh, the hot tub, or oh, the, the, the pillow top mattress, or whatever. But the nails are holding that structure together. Could it be that God's asking you to be a nail? That he's asking you to, to take on some struggle, to take on some strife, to take on some pain, to build his kingdom? Could it be? Well, how do we respond to that situation? Habakkuk is a great example. Let's look at his response. How did he respond? He responded by waiting on God and submitting. Let's, let's look at Habakkuk 2, 
1 through 3. It says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Basically means I'm going to station myself on the watchtower. means I'm going to stand at the corner of the city and just wait and watch. Station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. See, Habakkuk didn't get an instant answer. Habakkuk had to wait. Habakkuk ended up not getting the answer he wanted also. It wasn't what he wanted to be done. But he had to wait. You know, you hear, you hear something, someone say, you know, wait on the Lord. Man, those, those are great words. Or maybe you hear someone say, it'll all work out in God's timing. You know, and th- those are encouraging words. But I'll be honest, when I'm going through something tough, that's, that's not what I want to hear. I want it fixed. I want what I want when I want it. And I want that problem to go away. If you're anything like me, that, that's how I respond to that situation. But we're challenged in God's word. It says, you have to wait. You have to wait for my response. I know that many of us pray for God to take our difficulties away. We pray for healing. We pray for restoration. And sometimes God delivers on those things. And sometimes he has another plan. Are we, are we still okay with him using us to build the kingdom if it's not what we want? That's where the submission comes in. So in the midst of an unthinkable present, we are awaiting the unknown future. We have to wait. So how do we wait? How do we wait when the circumstances just seem so overwhelming? You know, I've, I've been in some pretty tough circumstances. But I don't think I've ever been in anything as bad as Habakkuk was in. And let's look at how he handled it. Habakkuk waited in righteous fear of the Lord. He waited in awe of the Lord. He also was in fear of what was happening around him. Let's look at Habakkuk 3.16. Habakkuk 3.16. As you turn there, just, just a heads up, 3.16s in the Bible are usually pretty good. There's a lot of good 3.16s. Lots of them. So I'm not saying skip all of the rest of the Scripture and just read the 3.16s, but sometime just take note of those. There's some pretty powerful verses that seem to line up on 3.16. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He said, I'm going to wait. He says, I'm afraid, but I'm going to wait, and I'm going to do what you ask, Lord. Pretty powerful. 
Back to, our, back to our sentence that we're building. In the midst of unthinkable present, awaiting the unknown future, we submit. We submit. Submission has never been a popular thing. You know, it, it's never been throughout the history of the world. It's never been an easier popular thing. Nobody wants to give up authority. Nobody wants to surrender what they want. Nobody wants to give up but it's exactly what Habakkuk did. And it's exactly what God calls us to do. To pray out to him and say, hey, you know what, Lord, I'm going through something really tough, and I pray that you take it away, but whatever you want and not what I want. You You may have heard something like that before. That's what Jesus prayed right before, the night before he was to die. He said, he said, Father, if you can take this away, If you can take this away, if there's another way to do this, take it away. But not what I want, what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. Submission. It's also what God's asking of you and I. How are you going to respond to that? How am I going to respond to God's call? But Habakkuk didn't stop with submission. Let's consider his attitude. Let's go to the end of Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and yield, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread upon my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Wow. What a response. What an attitude. He has no answers. In fact, the the little bit of the answer that he does know he doesn't like surrounded in a horrible situation and this is what this is what he does he says i will rejoice in the lord my salvation habakkuk responds rejoicing and obeying he responds by rejoicing and obeying don't miss this at the end it says to the choir master with stringed instruments what he's saying there is this is this is this is a song. This is to be sung. This is to, be, this is to praise God. This is to lift up the name of God. He's saying, hey, sing this out. Rejoice in the Lord, the God, my God, my salvation. So our submission is to, be, is to be paired with rejoicing. So let's go back to our sentence. In the midst of an unthinkable present, awaiting the unknown future, we submit and rejoice in awe of the Lord, our salvation. We submit and rejoice in awe of the Lord, our salvation. I love that Habakkuk refers to the the Lord as the God of his salvation. But he lived in the Old Testament times. He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know about that, that God was actually going to save him. That God was going to come to earth as a man and take our sins upon him on the cross. See, we get, we get even more insight than the prophet did. 
We understand that, that how true those words are, that God is our salvation, that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins and for your sins and redeems us through his sacrifice, through his death and resurrection. And we rejoice in the Lord, our salvation. How awesome is that? So true. All right, let's finish off that sentence. In the midst of an unthinkable present, Awaiting the unknown future, we submit and rejoice in awe of the Lord, our salvation. We know that he is always at work and has guaranteed us eternal life. Through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he has guaranteed our eternal life. There is no greater promise than that. So let's take a moment and let's examine our lives. Let's do a heart check. Let's look at the concepts we've learned and see how we're handling it. Let's let's look at some tough questions. Let's ask ourselves, are we following Habakkuk's example? So first, am I being honest with God in my questioning and doubting? Questioning God is common throughout all of Scripture. It happens over and over and over again. And he can handle our questions and our doubts. There's no sense in hiding your frustrations. You're talking about God here. Well, you know, I'm really frustrated, but, but I'm not going to show it to him. You're wasting your time. He knows. He understands your frustrations. He understands your doubts and your questions. And he welcomes those. He already knows them. Are we being honest with him? Are we being honest with ourselves? Second question is about being willing to wait on God. Am I waiting and submitting in faith? We want what we want when we want it. How do we handle it when God doesn't answer right away? How do we handle it when God doesn't give the answer that we want? Do we trust that he's working all the time? Do we trust that his plan is greater than ours? Do we trust that even though we're feeling the pain of the hammer, that he's building his kingdom, that he's always at work, and that even the pain, even the struggle, even, even, our, even the evil that's in the world, he is going to redeem for good. His plan is so much greater than ours. Are you willing to be the nail? Are you willing to be hidden and beat up and bent? Are you willing to be led in whatever he wants to do? Lastly, what attitude do we have? Are we choosing to rejoice and obey when life doesn't go as planned? We don't control our circumstances. If we did, we wouldn't have the difficulties that we have. We don't control them. But we do control our response. Look at Habakkuk's response. He responded with joy. He rejoiced in the Lord. In the midst of devastating circumstances, he rejoiced in the Lord. What choices are we making in regards to our attitude? Are we trusting God? Are we rejoicing and obeying, following his plan, even though our plans may be changed or destroyed? I love the quote that Pastor Josh penned. It's at the bottom of your outline. It says, the story in book of Habakkuk is one we all resonate with. As we experience circumstances and problems that challenge our view of God and his love, we're prone to question, doubt, and wander from him. 
Habakkuk and God's response to him challenges us to live by faith, trusting that God is just and in the end will deliver us from sin and its effects on us and the entire world. It's so true. It's so true. As, and as God builds his kingdom, he has a role for you. He has a role for each one of us. He wants to use your life in some way. Are you willing to let him lead? Are you honest with your questions and doubts? Do you submit to him? Are you willing to wait on the Lord? Are you willing to accept his answers even if they don't match what you desire? Do you truly rejoice in him in obedience even when life doesn't go as planned? We can learn from the prophet Habakkuk an example of what it truly means to live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, your word is designed to, to challenge us to be a, a two-edged sword that cuts to the marrow, that, 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 that strikes us and challenges us and that we cannot be false with you. But Lord, as you challenge us, you also encourage us. You give us an example of what it, what it looks like to live by faith. Lord, may we, may we learn from the example of Habakkuk as he struggled, as he fought, as he was frustrated. Lord, he rejoiced in you. He trusted you. He waited on you. And he accepted your answer even though it was not what he wanted. Lord, make us willing to be the nail that you use as you build your kingdom. Lord, help us to understand that, that our difficulties are still opportunities. Opportunities to give you praise. Opportunities for you to, to teach us obedience and submission and to use to build your kingdom, whether in us or in others or both. Lord, you are a great and gracious God, so worthy of all of our lives. May we surrender to you. May we do it for the building of your kingdom and the praise of your great name, the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this. Amen.